Thanks for listening to this very special edition of Leading the Way Audio. Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here. You know, I'm just delighted every time I get the chance to introduce you to my youngest son, Jonathan Michael Youssef. He is really a man of God who loves God and preaches the Word of God. And you're going to be blessed today by a special message on discipleship. I know firsthand, as he was rising up in our home, we discipled him as we discipled his siblings. And so he takes that discipleship that he received, and he's passing it now on to the younger generation. I know you'll be blessed. Stay tuned. Discipleship. This word is used quite frequently in the church, but what is it? What is discipleship? Discipleship for the Christian is bringing one's life into conformity with Christ. It's sitting at his feet through the studying of his word. It's growing in knowledge. It's growing in love. It is daily recognizing that our flesh, our default nature, is to move out of conformity with Christ and to pursue anything but Christ. And that by renewing our minds daily, we strive to conform our lives to who it is that has saved us, saved us from sin and death. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells us about the nature of discipleship. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is looking for hateful people. People who hate their family. And yes, people who hate themselves. Right? I've heard people that will take this text and say, see, Jesus' teaching is totally unbalanced. How can you hold this? We know what he says. He's the same one who tells us to love our enemies. This is the same Jesus who's called the Prince of Peace. This is the same Jesus who tells his disciples that the world will know you for your love that you have for one another. And now he wants us to hate. Well, Jesus is teaching through hyperbole here. It is an obvious and an intentional exaggeration. But there is a deeper issue that I feel needs pressing on here. And that is that I fear we have a cheap and a weak view of love. And I do not mean that as a culture or as a society because I don't expect much from the culture and the society. We can assume that they will have a weak and a cheap view of love. I'm talking about within the walls of the church. Jesus is saying that your love for him should be so great that by comparison, all your other relationships should be held like holding an open hand. You don't cling to them. They are less to you than your love for Christ. Well, why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus is not looking for easy believism. He's not interested in trying to pretty up your life. He's not interested in giving you your best life now, to borrow a, a phrase. You see, what Jesus is interested in is a takeover. 
To be his disciples means that he is the sovereign Lord. He is the divine dictator. He is the ruler. He is the controller. He is the master. He is the king. And the modern church, in so many ways, with its desire to get people in, have sold people a bill of goods. That your life will be easy and you will prosper. All you have to do is convert and be baptized. Now, it is true, I must say, that you can lay your fears and your failures down at the foot of the cross, that there is total forgiveness and peace with Christ. But it does not say that your trials will disappear. It never says that life will now be easy. If anything, it says, don't be surprised when you face great difficulty. Now that you are a Christian, in fact, sometimes it says... Please expect more difficulty now that you've become a Christian. Discipleship says, I recognize that it was not me who loved first, that you, Lord God, were the initiator of love, that you sent your Son to be propitiation for our sins, that your full wrath was poured out on Christ so that we can be saved from eternal damnation. That I have no concept of what real and genuine love is apart from you. And that this love now flows through me out to those around me so that because I am tapped into the love of God, I do love my family I do love my wife, I do love my children, I love my neighbor. In fact, I actually love them more than I did before I tapped into the love of God. I love better, I love more fully, I love more sacrificially, and those relationships are stronger because of it. But if I do not get the origin right first, then I cannot be your disciple. And I cannot actually, truly love others. So it's important that we understand the origin of love. It's important that we understand how it magnifies our love to a greater degree and intensity to those around us. The way that we looked at image bearers of God. And especially people who are far off from him. And then secondly, listen to what Jesus says. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, what does Jesus mean here? Because I've heard this phrase a lot, and I think it's important that we talk about what he's not saying. Many people interpret cross here as a burden that they must carry in their lives. And so it is a strained relationship. It is a thankless job. It is a physical illness, and so with self-pitying pride, they say, well, that's my cross I have to bear. That's my burden. That's the cross I bear. This interpretation is not what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me, and in this passage, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple because we read this knowing that Jesus went to the cross. That's the symbol that he died on, the peace that he died on. We see that cross as a gracious object. We drive past churches and it it warms our hearts. (laughs) That would have been ridiculous to the people who are hearing this illustration, that concept, because this audience here, they heard cross and they saw 
Roman instrument of judgment and destruction and death, okay, is torture. So when Jesus is saying, my disciples must carry their own cross, they are understanding that he's saying, taking up your cross, a renunciation of your self-ambition. It means refusing all the rights to control your own destiny. It is a death to an entire way of life. It says, I have received the invitation to the banquet, and I recognize that the kingdom is here. And in humility, I am a recipient of grace. And that humility drives me to say, not my will, but yours. And it drives me to say, I am daily conforming my life to your will. And it drives me to say, I am daily dying to the flesh. I am daily feeding the new man inside of me. I am daily renewing my mind for the banquet and the new life I live with right understanding and perspective and recognition of what God has done for me so greatly far outweighs anything that this life or this world could offer me. The cost may be great, but the reality, the rewards are far greater. But do you see, this is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It is essential for being a disciple. So if you're taking notes, there is the need to recognize our love for God. There is a cross-bearing, and then there is a cost-counting. A cost-counting. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Jesus is further illustrating the cost of discipleship, not by telling you what it will cost. He's already done that. But now that he has explained the cost, he's saying, consider whether you are genuine in this endeavor. He's telling you to count that cost. Consider it. Do not start something like discipleship without understanding that it may cost you everything. Just as the builder does not begin the process of building without counting the cost, making sure that they are committed to the process, making sure they have the resources to finish, so the disciple of Christ must consider. Now that could sound like works righteousness. I have to do it. I am the one doing the lifting for my salvation. No, Christ has done the lifting for your salvation. What Jesus states at the end of this section actually shows us what he's talking about. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The idea here being that there will be things that will detract you from your discipleship to Christ. He said them at the beginning. 
It may be your father or your mother or your children or your spouse or your brother or your sister. It may be your own life. And now he includes all you have. All you have is all you have. I don't know how it could be any more clear. Everything. If you love any of these things more than Christ, then you will have started a project that you can never finish. You will have started a war and will be defeated because you made an impulsive and careless and hasty decision. Jesus is trying to prevent people from following him lightly. He's trying to prevent people from following him inconsiderately, from mere excitement. Men and women who, in time of temptation, would fall away. You see, our faith is a rational faith. And sometimes people get caught up in the emotionalism or an experience. And there's nothing wrong with emotion and experience, but they are not your ultimate authority. They're not the thing that you lean on. Otherwise, we end up with churches with a lot of shallow people who don't understand depth. A lot of people that are looking for that next emotion. Uh, People who are looking for that next experience and they're trying to bounce around from high to high to high and never becoming a disciple of Christ. Jesus knew that nothing does such harm to religion as backsliding and that nothing causes backsliding like enlisting disciples without telling them what discipleship will involve. I think it's important to say here because I struggled with this imagery. The builder and the king in this example, they count the cost to make sure that they have enough, right? But for the follower of Christ, it says, not only do I not have enough, I actually have nothing. I have nothing. I contribute nothing. So there is the faith element that he will provide all that I need, which reinforces the disciple image. Do you see what I'm saying? Because the disciple says, I have nothing, I contribute nothing, but I trust in this discipler. I trust in what he has promised. I trust that he is good. I know his character. I know his nature, and I trust him. And as you put that trust in him, he feeds that back out, and your faith is growing and growing and growing, and that process of growing in discipleship continues on and on and on, and your trajectory is upward. And so we tell people the bad news, that they are lost in their sin and they are separated from God. But then we tell them the good news, that Jesus has died to save us from our sins if we would put our faith, if we put our trust, if we put our confidence in him. But that's where a lot of people stop. They give the good news and and there's no further steps. That's when we show what it looks like to move forward in Christ. It's not just a raised hand at an altar call or standing up or a quick prayer after a moment of conviction. That is just the beginning. That is just the beginning. Now it is a life of learning, of being a disciple, coming under discipline, right? Disciple, discipline, they're the same root word. But discipline is not a negative. The discipline is for our benefit, 
Otherwise, we end up with lots of people who pray a prayer out of fear of eternal damnation, but then they carry on with their life as if nothing has changed. Nothing has moved. Nothing has changed. And I've got my Jesus keep me out of hell free card. Do you know who else acted impulsively from Scripture? Well, pretty much everyone in Scripture, but there's a character in particular. We look at the life of Peter. Here's this man who refused to accept the outcome that Jesus was going to have to die. No, Lord, I will never let it happen. And then when it did happen, and someone looked at him and said, weren't you one of his? Weren't you with him? And he says, I never knew the man, never seen him. Then when Jesus, after the resurrection, he's reinstituting Peter on the seashore, and he asks Peter if he loves him. Against the, he does it the three times in, in remembering the denial, three times the denial. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And every time he's answering, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you know I love you, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my people, train them up. Make disciples. And in case you weren't aware, you don't just feed sheep once. You feed them over and over and over again. That's why we come to church on the Lord's Day every Sabbath. Every Sunday we come and we gather to be reminded of these things, to be reminded of what it looks like to be a disciple, to be reminded of God's character and his nature. It's a lifetime Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, whatever gain I had, whatever advantage in life, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here's a question for you. What is the thing, what is the object, who is the person that God could take away from you that would cause you to depart from him? What is the thing, what is the object, who is the person that God could take away from you that would cause you to depart from him? Finally, Jesus says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Just as salt devoid of its distinctive taste is of no worth, so a would-be disciple who evades Jesus' demand of self-renunciation, the distinctive hallmark of allegiance to him, that person is of no use in his kingdom. This is the picture of a man or woman who seeks to be a follower of Jesus but who will not pay the price of following. It's a picture of people who call themselves Jesus' disciples but who still love other people more than they love him and who exalt their own concerns over his and who still cling to the things of this world more than they cling to him. 
As far as he is concerned, such would-be followers are as useless to the cause of discipleship as salt that has lost its taste, as salt that has lost its saltiness. They are good for nothing. They cannot, according to Jesus' own words, be his disciples. So where do we go with this? This is a hard teaching. I think we need to be asking ourselves what our discipleship looks like. Do we understand the priority that Christ must have in our hearts? Do we understand it? Do we recognize the need for cross-bearing, a denial of self, a denial of self-interest, a dying to self? Have we counted the cost? Are we just going through the motions? Are we playing church? It does not matter how long you have considered yourself a Christian. What matters is if you have made yourself available to be Christ's disciple. Everyone starts their journey somewhere. Discipleship is the process of being a learner. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, but being a learner also implies that you are growing that you are making progress, that you're not stuck in one place. But if you feel like you are stuck, or perhaps you feel like you rushed into the Christian faith without knowing, without counting the cost, that's okay. Because today can be the day you say, my journey, my discipleship begins today. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you in a unique way. There's lots of people in here. There's no way I could know where you are individually. But the Spirit does, and he may be speaking to you about this very issue. The road will not be easy, but the Redeemer is great. And he will carry you through. My greatest fear is that you would hear this and think, I need to try harder, that I need to grab within myself and do something myself. When the reality is I want you to see how great the love, how great the price that Christ paid, how great his grace, how great his plans are for you, and for that to move you to say, I can do nothing else. I can do no other than want to be his disciple, to submit myself under his authority, because he is good all the time. Have you started your journey as a faithful disciple of Christ? If you'd like to explore this further with a pastor or counselor, won't you consider talking with one of the Leading the Way pastors and counselors? You can get in touch by filling out a short contact form. Go to ltw.org slash Jesus. And didn't you enjoy Jonathan's unique and biblical insights? Then I know you'll enjoy his weekly podcast, too. It's also centered on the truth of God's Word. It's called... Candid Conversations with Jonathan Youssef. And in this podcast, popular all around the world, Jonathan tackles topics of today's life and culture through a biblical lens, sometimes just by teaching from God's Word, other times by inviting trusted guests into the studio for candid conversations. Many times the sins that are so difficult to overcome are either internal and therefore easier to hide or are acceptable in our culture. Greed and gluttony are examples of deeply embedded sins. You know they aren't the best, but everyone struggles with something, right? There's always a reason not to be inconvenienced. (laughs) 
like there's always a reason to not complicate your life, but that's not what God calls us to. And so as we sorted through those emotions, it was... So as you look at Christ, like gaze at him from all of these angles that the biblical themes provide to us, what happens is we see more clearly his beauty, Mm -hmm. his sufficiency, While we should not engage in life's spiritual battle without armor, how much more essential is prayer? Prayer is the breath of the warrior. The prayerless Christian is a soldier who's dressed in shining armor but can't make it up the hill without... Subscribe to Candid Conversations through your favorite podcast app or listen online at ltw.org. You can also learn more, order a resource, or give a gift when you call 866-626-4356. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world.